Thank you for tuning in to the City Light West Council Bluff Sermon Podcast. We are a church that exists to multiply disciples and churches that is located in Council Bluffs, Iowa. If you want to learn more about our church, visit citylightwestcb.org or follow us on Facebook at City Light West Council Bluffs and Instagram at City Light West CB. Good morning, City Light. This is the morning you've been waiting for. I know when we said at the beginning of the year that we were going to go through a book on Genesis, you were like, I cannot wait for Genesis 4 and 5 with just long lists of names and what they did for a profession, how many kids they had. This is like the highlight of the book of Genesis, so I know you've been waiting for it. But yeah, uh, it's exciting to be able to gather here this morning. Uh, It's been a fun couple weeks, like uh, everybody's been saying this is my last sermon before fatherhood. It's been, a, it's been a fun journey to kind of prep everything. And this week, we kind of got to a, to a stopping point. We're kind of at this point of just waiting. And so there's not a whole lot to do around the house. And on Wednesday evening, I found myself scrolling on YouTube. Uh, and I found myself watching a series of reaction videos uh, who are reacting to some of my favorite movies, The Lord of the Rings. Now... For the Gen Xers or the boomers in the room who don't know what a reaction video is, let me explain that to you. I I made fun of the Gen Zers for not knowing what a payphone was last week, so this week's your week. A reaction video is basically a video of someone watching a video. It's YouTube inception. It's a video of someone watching a video. And on the surface, it sounds pointless, but it's a huge, huge genre on YouTube. Millions of views go towards reaction videos. And the reason why it catches on so much, I think, is that through the experience of the YouTuber who is watching a thing or listening to a song for the very first time, it's almost like you get to experience it watching that thing for the first time with them. It's kind of like that whole thing of like when you first start dating someone, what do you do? You like show them all your favorite songs and you watch all your favorite movies and you get to like experience it with them for the first time. That's kind of the experience that happens with like a reaction video. And so here I am, I'm watching these reaction videos about my favorite movie, Lord of the Rings, and uh, uh, a scene pops out to me that I, not that I had forgotten it, but it's one of my favorite scenes and I kind of got to see it with new eyes. It's one of my favorite bits of dialogue from the Lord of the Rings and it comes from the mouth of Samwise Gamgee. Now Sam is the real hero of the story Sam and Frodo are these couple of hobbits who left their comfortable lives in the green, beautiful shire to go to, the Mount, to go to Mount Tomb to destroy evil forever. And in the second movie of the trilogy, um, which is the greatest film trilogy of all time, I don't care what you say, uh, in the two towers, Sam and Frodo, along with Faramir and his rangers, their attacks attacked in the abandoned city of Osgiliath. And after this long battle, where they're ever able to stave off their enemies, after Sam actually saves Frodo, and they kind of get in a little scuffle, they kind of both fall to the ground, defeated and exhausted. They're breathing heavy. There's a lot of doubt and darkness. The silence is kind of deafening in that moment. And Frodo breaks the silence by simply saying, I can't do this, Sam. 
the, the, the journey up to this point had been months since they'd left their house, and what had gone from a simple adventure had now turned into full-on war, with all the evil of Middle-earth coming at them. And Frodo simply says, I can't do this. And Sam responds by saying this, I know, it's all wrong. By rights, we should not even be here, but we are. It's like in the great stories, Mr. Frodo, the ones that really mattered. Full of darkness and danger they were, and sometimes you don't want to know how they end because how could the end be happy? How could the world go back to the way it was when so much bad had happened? But in the end, it's only a passing thing. This shadow, even darkness must pass. The new day will come, and when the sun shines, it will shine out the clearer. Those were the stories that stayed with you, that meant something, even if you were too small to understand why. In the midst of their darkest moment, Sam reminds Frodo of the hope that lies ahead. Again, after so long being removed from the beauty of the Shire, being confronted with the evil of the world, there was still a glimmer of hope. What Frodo needed to hear in that moment to keep going is that there's still hope. There's a glimmer of hope. And like every great story has that moment, right? Where it seems too dark. Where the heroes are never going to be able to overcome the odds that are in front of them. But there's always that glimmer of hope. That you're saying there's a chance moment. And I think as we've worked through Genesis 4... We get to the end of Genesis 4 and then even moving into Genesis 5. It's that kind of moment for us. Genesis 5, it kind of gives us a little glimmer of hope. And Genesis, it started with God creating a perfect world. Everything was as it should be. After every single day, God ended the day by saying, and it was good, and it was good. And then on day 7, God brings rest to all creation, Perfect shalom, perfect peace between human humanity and each other, humanity with God and humanity with the earth. Everything was as it should be. And then we talked about how on day seven, after God created this perfect rest, there was no end to that day. God created humanity to live in this perfect world. But in Genesis 3, sin enters the picture. In Genesis 3, we see Adam and Eve decide that they want to be God. And so God says, if that's what you want, leave my creation, the the Garden of Eden that I created for you, go try to create the world for yourself. And I think we get like seven or eight verses before Cain murders Abel. It doesn't go real well. Cain and Abel is this story that's like this surefire sign that sin has indeed arrived. The story up to this point is is dark. But the rest of Genesis 4, it begins to get a little darker. After Cain murders his brother, Genesis 4.16 says, Cain went away from the presence of the Lord and settled in the land of Nod, east of Eden. Cain leaves the presence of the Lord, totally turned his back on God, and unsurprisingly, the results aren't great. Genesis 4 and 5 are pretty much just lists of descendants. And and we see in Genesis 4 uh, the evil of Cain's descendants, and it kind of culminates with this guy named Lamech. 
Let's read Genesis 4, 17 through 19. It says this, Cain knew his wife and she conceived and bore Enoch. When he built a city, he called the name of the city after the name of his son Enoch. To Enoch was born Irad, and Irad fathered Mahujuel, and Mahujuel fathered Mahujuel, and Mahujuel fathered Lamech. I know that one. And it, uh, Mark crushed that, by the way. <laughs> I was like, dang. <laughs> I should have given him Genesis 5, too. Just had made him just keep going all the way through. Uh, and Lamech took two wives. The name of one was Ada, and the name of the other was Zillah. So in this passage, we see Lamech as the first person in the Bible to go outside the bounds of God's ordained plan for marriage. One man, one woman now becomes one man, multiple women. We have this guy who is fudging on God's law. Our passage doesn't go into specifics about the marriage, but what it does illuminate is that this man Lamech has given in to sin. It kind of shows us the snowball effect, the slow descent into madness that is sin. Lamech continues the legacy of sin that we saw in his father Cain. But the more we learn about Lamech, the worse it actually gets. Genesis 4, 23 and 24 says this, Lamech said to his wives, Ada and Zillah, hear my voice. You wives of Lamech, listen to what I say. I have killed a man for wounding me, a young man for striking me. If Cain's revenge is sevenfold, then Lamech's is seventy-sevenfold. So in this passage, we see that not only is Lamech a murderer like Cain, but he takes pride in the violence that he commits. You think Cain was bad? I'm ten times as bad as that. Violence has multiplied. Anger has grown in him. If Cain's revenge is seventy-fold, then Lamech's is seventy. And if you look back to when God created mankind, he created man in his image. Be his ambassadors, a bastion of his glory to the earth around them. And then he told them to multiply. And instead of the image of God multiplying on the land, what we see is that violence is multiplied. Sin is multiplied. When Cain leaves the presence of God and Lamech comes into the picture, Violence increases, and evil is overtaking the world. And as we move forward to our own times, it's not like that process stopped, did it? I mean, there's this massive need for that glimmer of hope. I mean, just this past week, we have war breaking out overseas. But as I saw a meme on Facebook this week, it said this, this is radically precedented times. This is not unfamiliar to us. This is the story of humanity. This isn't new. War is constantly breaking out. Right now, there's civil war in Yemen, concentration camps in China, genocide in Myanmar and Darfur. Like, this isn't new. The violence started with Cain, multiplied with Lamech, and continued to multiply to even today. There is a massive need for hope. Like, so many people are longing to go back to Genesis 1 and 2. We need a glimmer of hope. But the question is, like, what are we hoping for, right? And and, and more importantly, as we talk about this book was written to a group of Israelites wandering the desert who had been recently freed from slavery, what were those Israelites hoping for? 
And I think if we skip through chapter 5, which again is just basically a bunch of list of names, how long they lived, and all their kids. When we get to the end of chapter 5, it kind of tells us what the hope of Israel was. Let's read chapter 5, starting in verse 28. When Lamech had lived 182 years, this is a different Lamech, by the way, <laughs> he fathered a son and called his name Noah, saying, Out of the ground that God has cursed, this one shall bring us relief from our work and from the painful toil of our hand. Lamech lived and he fathered Noah 595 years and had other sons and daughters. So verse 20 introduces a different Lamech. And this Lamech comes from the line of Seth. When Abel was killed by Cain, the Bible says that Adam and Eve had another child called Seth. And his children feared the Lord. And so we have the story of these two Lamechs. One is with his family. And for some reason, I think we can maybe put together some reasons why he would be telling them how great his wrath is. Not sure why he'd need to bring in his kids and wives in on that conversation, but I think we can probably guess why. So we have a Lamech who rules and, and oppresses, and then we have a Lamech who brings in this Noah. And the name Noah actually means rest. Like Genesis 5 gives us a hope that there will be someone who will come to give us the rest that we long for. To restore us back to Genesis 1, that seventh day, before sin came and ruined God's good creation. And so the Israelites are reading this like, oh, maybe this Noah is the guy who's going to come and bring us rest. That's what it says. They hoped that Noah would come and reverse the curse. Back in Genesis 3, part of the curse of sin is that the ground was actually cursed as well so that work became hard and toilsome and harsh. But Noah, in our passage, it says Noah would come to bring relief from their work and the painful toil of their hands. This is the hope of the Israelites, that the curse of sin would be Reversed. One of the promises in Genesis 3 is that there would be someone to come to stomp on the head of the serpent and destroy evil once and for all. And so they're hoping maybe Noah is our guy. These formerly enslaved people dreamt about a world where their labor wasn't so hard, where they found a homeland to call their own, where they could dwell with their God. And there wouldn't be all this strife between one another. In other words, they were longing for the kingdom of God. Their hope was to see God's kingdom restored to its original intention in Genesis 1 and 2. And they hoped that Noah would bring it. But the longing of their hearts was for the kingdom of God. I mean, like, that's what we all long for. Like, even if in this room, if you're not a follower of Jesus, if you don't know Jesus, if you're not submitted to his lordship, you're longing for the kingdom of God. You just wouldn't phrase it that way. Let me list off a description of the kingdom of God from Scripture. Isaiah 2 talks about how in the kingdom of God, the tools of war will be turned into tools of gardening. Where it's like, can you imagine if the thing that once brought death and destruction brought beauty and flourishing? If our guns were turned into pieces of art? 
That's what the Bible says the kingdom of God is like. The kingdom of God says not only that, it follows up in Isaiah 2 to say that there's going to be no war. Like there's not even going to be need for those swords in the first place. And then Isaiah 11 continues by saying that even the animals are going to stop attacking each other. (laughs) Like the end of the war between us and the earth is going to happen. There's going to be perfect peace between humanity and nature and humanity and one another. In the kingdom of God, there's going to be so much abundance that even the desert is going to sprout plants, Isaiah 35. I mean, in God's kingdom, those who mourn will be comforted. Every tear will be wiped away from our eyes. In God's kingdom, death will be no more. Sickness will be no more. Poverty will be no more. Addiction will be eradicated. Sin will be abolished. And the disabled and sick will be healed. And above all, the God of the universe, the eternally faithful, perfect God will rule over everything with love and justice without end. Who doesn't want to live in a world like that? (laughs) It's like, I I don't care who you're following this morning. Your heart longs to live in a world like that, even if you wouldn't name it. We were created for Genesis 1 and 2. We were created to live in Eden with God in perfect harmony with Him and with one another. And sin has ruined God's perfect creation. And so our hearts are longing for this place that no longer exists. It's what C.S. Lewis says in his famous quote, If I find in myself desires which nothing in this world can satisfy, the only logical explanation is that I was made for another world. And it's true. Humanity was created for Genesis 1 and 2, not Genesis 4. We were created for the kingdom of God. That's what every human heart longs for, even if they would not name it as such. This is what we were made for, the kingdom of God. Now, I I know I long for it. Not to, I don't bring you in on this, but I long for it. Man, I want to see our city become a city marked by the kingdom of God. A city where addicts can find help, where we treat each other with respect and compassion. A place where no one is in want. A place that is marked by radical generosity and love. A place that is for the flourishing of our neighbors. Man, what if West Council Bluffs looked like the city of God? Jesus actually tells us to dream on that and to pray for it. When he walks through his Lord's Prayer in Matthew 6, 10, he he says, pray like this, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Man, at this church, I want that to be a prayer that we pray like consistently and with all our hearts completely full-throated at the top of our lungs. God, come to West Council Bluffs. Make your kingdom here as it is in heaven. Bring healing, bring wholeness, bring freedom, bring unity, peace. God, may your kingdom come here as it is in heaven. That's what our hearts long for. It's what we were created for. Everything we should do, everything we do should be in service to bringing God's kingdom and increasing God's glory on this earth. And so the question we need to be rehearsing as followers of Jesus in everything we do is what I'm about to do is about to bring an increase of God's kingdom or are we walking it back a little bit? 
Man, what would it be like if a church who was so enthralled with who Jesus is, that we were so in love with him and we just wanted to see him glorified and brought down to our city? And if, we, if those people took every thought captive like we were commanded in, in, in obedience to Christ, what would a church like that look like? What could we see happen in our city? If everything we did day in, day out was for the bringing of God's kingdom to earth. So this passage it shows us that there's this need for hope. That darkness has come. And that there's this need for this glimmer of hope. And it also tells us kind of like what we truly are hoping for, and that is to experience the kingdom of God again. And then Genesis 5 sets us up to think that Noah is going to be the one to bring this kingdom. Noah is the one at the end of Genesis 5 that is said will bring rest to Israel. But because we live in the future, we know that that's not the case. (laughs) Noah doesn't deliver on the promise that is said of him in Genesis 5. And that's a pattern we see all through the Old Testament. All through the Old Testament, we see these leaders of the Israelites be raised up and lifted up and thought to be, maybe this is the one who will crush the head of the serpent. Maybe this is the one who's going to restore God's kingdom. Maybe this is the one who's going to bring us the peace and rest we long for. But over and over and over, they fail. Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Joseph. Moses, Joshua, Solomon, David, do we need to keep going? Over and over and over, the Israelites hope that this man is going to come and bring God's kingdom here. And over and over and over again, they fail them. And we can look at our Bibles and kind of be like, oh man, those Israelites, they're so foolish. But if we truly look at our own hearts, I think we will see that over and over and over again, we look to other people or we look to the things of this earth to give us what we truly long for. And over and over and over again, they fail us. This is kind of our default setting as humans. Maybe this president is going to do it. Maybe this new job will fix me. Maybe once I graduate, maybe once the kids leave the house, maybe once I find that perfect spouse. Our default setting is to be continually hoping in things other than God to bring for us the things that only God can give us. But the truth is no human, including yourself. I just need me. Nobody can complete your hope. No job, no church, no relationship can be for you what Christ alone was meant to be for you. So for those of us in this room, I simply ask the question, what are you hoping for? And how are you going about accomplishing that hope? Like, are you longing for peace? And you think like the best way to actually get some peace is to separate entirely from other people. I know for sure then there's going to be none of this arguing going around. If I just get away from everyone, I'll be all right. Nobody will hurt me anymore. Are you looking for love and you think that maybe just one more hookup or one more internet search, that'll tide me over till I get the real thing. 
Are you looking for security so you go play the slots a little bit? You hope that one lottery ticket's going to hit so that you can finally have the security and the money that you need to be safe? Are you looking for rest? You think, man, if only would have voted that other guy, everything would be as it should be. May I suggest to you that none of those things can give you the hope that you long for. Because down in the depth of your being, what you are longing for is the kingdom of God, not the kingdom of men. And here's something about the kingdom of God. Man alone cannot bring it about. (laughs) The Israelites longed for a man to come and bring about this renewal of Eden. This rewind back to Genesis 1 and 2. But over and over and over again, their leaders failed. The best of the best. The guys who made it in the Bible. Even they couldn't do it. Then generations and generations and generations later, there's a man who bursts onto the scene in Matthew 4.17. says, from that time, Jesus began to preach, saying, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. It's here. The kingdom of God has come. God himself comes to earth to be for man what mankind could not be for itself. One who could truly reverse the curse of sin. The only one who could actually bring the kingdom of God to earth. And actually we see that happen in his earthly ministry. All the things that mark the kingdom of God that we talked about earlier come to pass in Jesus' ministry. He's healing the sick. He's caring for the poor. Reaching out for the outcast. Rebuking violence. Comforting those who mourn. And he even raised the dead. Like, Jesus came to bring the kingdom of God. But even with all that he did, even though he lived a life filled with love, mercy, and miracles, a perfect, sinless life, the violence and sin of man continued on. As they arrested him, beat him mercilessly, mocked him, hammered nails through his hands, and hung an innocent man on a cross to die. But it did not take God by surprise. <laughs> it was not unexpected. It was all part of the plan. You see that God knew that, the, that his kingdom would never come through force of will. It had to come through the changing of hearts. And the only way to change the hearts of fallible men and women was to die a sinner's death so that we could be granted forgiveness from our sin and then given His Holy Spirit to dwell in us. Then and only then will God's kingdom truly come because then there's going to be a multitude of people who are images of God who are indwelled with the King's kingdom-bringing Spirit. And the King grants us with that Spirit as we turn from our sin and find forgiveness in Him. And that's why Jesus says in John 14, 12, that we will do even greater works than he, right? City light. There's a massive need for hope in our city and in our world. And the hope of the human heart is the kingdom of God. Christ alone can bring that hope. And you have the kingdom bringing spirit of God living inside of you. All because of what Christ did for you on the cross. That's why we celebrate communion together every single week. And I don't know about you, but when I think about this mission, bring God's kingdom, when I pray the Lord's prayer to bring God's kingdom, counsel bluffs as it is in heaven, I do so 
a bit overwhelmed with a bit of doubt in my spirit, a little bit of fear. I can feel a little bit like Frodo in the two towers. I can feel hopeless. Like, I can't do it. Like, I'm not, not even making a dent. Like, I can feel like there's nothing I can do. But Genesis 4 and 5 gives us a glimmer of hope that there is one who can come and make all things new again. New again. The kingdom was never going to come through. It points us to the moment when Jesus came to bring us hope and give us the power to bring hope to our world. So this morning, I want to say if you're looking for hope, my prayer for you is that you would find it in the person and work of Jesus. Nothing on this earth can give for you what you ultimately long for. You were made for relationship with the very one who created you, who counts the number of hairs on your head, who formed you in your mother's womb. You were created to know that God. And so I beg you, stop trying to find hope in all the things of the world that you know have let you down over. Turn to the one who created you and knows you and who can love you back to life. Then come take communion with us. Experience his body that was broken and his blood that was shed for the forgiveness of your sin. He died so that you could be forgiven and he was raised to new life so that you could live life abundant and eternal. Come to know that Jesus this morning. And for those of you who are already following Jesus, as you break the bread and as you drink the juice, I pray that you would have hope this morning too, knowing that the work that Jesus did in you, he can do it to those around us. The life that he gave you, the mercy he bestowed upon you, the forgiveness of your sin and the new life with him, he can do that to our friends, neighbors, and coworkers. Would we trust in him? Stop trying to do it all ourselves. Let's bring God's kingdom. Thank you again for listening. This podcast is not intended to serve as a substitute for gathering with a local body of believers, but as a resource that encourages and empowers you to follow Jesus as your heart is pointed towards the gospel. If you want to learn more about our church, visit citylightwestcb.org.